Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Tonight we're going to talk about peace. You know, we're going through the different fruit of the Spirit one by one. And last, or two weeks ago we talked about joy, and the week before we talked about love in a couple of different ways. And, and tonight we talk about peace, and I've been very excited for this one because this is, this is a big one. It's a big one because this is something that most of the world is looking for. This is something that most of the world struggles with. You know, and, and one of the things I talk to people a lot about is people really ask me when they find out I'm a pastor. Just this week in my German course, I talked with a wonderful person, and, and as soon as people find out I'm a pastor, they're always curious about, you know, what kind of pastor I am. And, and one of the things this person asked me was, so do you really believe the Bible is true? I mean, do you, do you study it academically? Do you sort of believe it has good information in it? But do you really believe it's all true? And I sat across from this person and I thought, if you only knew how true it was. This book, I've been thinking about this more and more, this book is not just a book of stories about God's intervention in his people. It's not just a book about how God has saved us, a book about God's love. But, but have you ever thought about the Bible as a book of peace? As a story of bringing peace as a story of, of calming wild seas, as a story of fixing and, and calming the turmoil you find in your life. As, as, have you ever thought about this book as a story to help with anxiety, to help with unrest? Many people, we think about it as stories and parables and narratives and poems, but this is a story of God trying to return this creation back to the peace with which he created it with, to return us and all of creation back to the garden. And so as we talk about peace tonight, I want to point out that there's sort of two kinds of peace, at least two that we'll talk about. The first is outer peace, right? Peace with those around us. Conflict resolution. We know this is important. Jesus said in Matthew 5, chapter 9, that blessed are the peacemakers. We know that peace is important with those around us. But then there's also, there's inner peace. There's confidence. There's tranquility. There's that desire when things are happening around us and circumstances are crashing down upon us to be people who would have inner peace. And both of these things, I really believe, uh, are desires of God that we would have in our lives, that we would be holy, that we would be set apart from the rest of the people of this world. 
And that God, through the power of the Spirit, has given us access to this kind of peace. And so we're going to start tonight with the first reading in the Old Testament from the prophet Haggai. And if you're not familiar with this prophet, as, as many of us may not be, it's, it's one of the really small ones at the very end of the Old Testament. The story is the same narrative story that's happening in Nehemiah and Ezra. After the exile, the Israelite people have come back to Jerusalem and they're rebuilding. And, and they're rebuilding Jerusalem and they're doing all that they can. And, and, and the year is about 520 B.C., Babylon has fallen to the Persian Empire, and the new Persian Empire has told the Israelites, hey, you can go home if you want. <laughs> you, know, you can go home, you can rebuild your city, we don't need you here. And so a bunch of people go, and they're rebuilding the city, but it's not going as great as they thought. In fact, they're rebuilding their homes, and they're trying to replant vineyards, and, and they're just sort of leaving the temple by itself. Because in their minds, they can't build the temple as great as Solomon built it, so why try? And so they just sort of leave the temple by the wayside, and they start building their own homes and, and start trying to build what they care about. And so if you read through another time, chapter 1, that's what it's talking about, about the people rebuilding their houses before they rebuild the house of the Lord. It talks about people doing things in the wrong order. And the two people it mentions are Zerubbabel, who was the governor. He was basically like the leader. He's a descendant of David. And then Joshua, not the Joshua from way before, but he actually was the high priest at the time and went all the way back to Aaron, Moses' brother. So he's in the line of priests, and Zerubbabel, the governor, is in the line of kings. And these people are here to reestablish Jerusalem. And with their help, they begin to build. But as I said, it's just not as good as Solomon's temple. And they lose faith, and they lose hope. And so what happens, the prophet comes in in verse 3, and he basically says, hey, don't worry, it's not a comparison. We're not trying to rebuild the grandest temple that ever was. You're not going to be able to. But do not fear, the prophet says in verses 4 and 5. He says, do not fear, my spirit remains with you, as it always has been. You are my people, and my spirit remains with you. And get to work I love that line. We're going to talk about that next week a lot more when it comes to patience. Is that next week? Yeah. yeah we're going to talk about patience, and, and we're going to talk about what it means to patiently wait for God, but to also get to work with God. But so here he says, hey, listen, my spirit is with you. Get to work because this is more important. The house of God and your communal worship is more important than your houses and your vineyards. So do not be afraid. And then if, if we look, actually, go, go to verse 9. Lisa, thanks. The Lord God of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, when you rebuild the house of the Lord and you gather together for worship as we have done tonight, God says, I will bring you peace. See, God is tying in communal worship with us finding peace in our lives. God says, if you place a priority on worship and on holy living, you will find that peace begins to come out of your life. And not just any worship, not just any worship, but if you faithfully come and worship me, I will grant you peace. And what God is saying is, not only will this lead to peace with your enemies, Jerusalem, but this will lead to peace inside of your hearts. 
And, and this priority that God lays out in the Old Testament, and this theme is through the entire Old and New Testament about true, faithful worship, God is pointing out, I believe, to us that when we make communal worship, when we make gathering together like this a priority in our lives, we will begin to see more and more peace. When we make meeting with brothers and sisters in Christ, and it doesn't have to be at a church, it could be at a restaurant, it can be in a house, it can be over a cold, frosty beverage, it can be any way if we gather together in the name of the Lord with brothers and sisters in Christ, with faithful hearts, God says, I will bring you peace. You don't have to work for peace. You don't have to achieve some status before I give you peace. But gather together in my name. Prioritize worship. And I will bring you peace. He will be the one that gives it. And like grace we find in the New Testament, He will give it freely. Because see, the people here were trying to rebuild the house of God, but they knew it wasn't going to be great. Anyone who's ever been to Jerusalem has seen Solomon's Temple Mount and how big and mighty and huge it was. I mean, imagine trying to rebuild something on top of this beautiful old Temple Mount. And some of these people, it was only 70 years ago that it was destroyed. So some of the older people might have even remembered the temple. And they're building this little rinky-dink temple where it used to be. And they say, this isn't even worth our trouble. But God is telling them, no, you don't get it. It's not the building. It's the heart behind the building. It's not how perfectly you sing. It's not how perfectly you worship. It's the heart behind your worship that God sees. It is the effort and the faith behind the worship that God sees and rewards. But as we see with the people in this story and many others, this is where self-doubt comes in, right? This is one of the biggest enemies we have to peace is that we see and we compare and ultimately some sort of selfishness or foolishness creeps in, but we get ashamed of our efforts. Even though God might be enjoying our efforts, we feel like they're not good enough. Maybe it's comparison. Maybe we think God desires more from us. But we feel like it's not good enough and we doubt. For those of you who ever struggle with doubt, for those of you who ever struggle with maybe my efforts are not good enough for God, I would point you to the story of David being anointed king in 1 Samuel chapter 16. They bring in all of David's older brothers, the tall, strong, brave young men, and, 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 and it's none of them. And when David comes before Samuel, Samuel says, this, it's, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, he says, the, the Lord does not look as a man looks. He does not see the things a man sees, but he sees the heart. David wasn't as tall as his brothers. He wasn't as mighty as his brothers. He was his dirty shepherd out in the field. But God sees our hearts. And so for those of you who struggle with doubt, for those of you who feel like your best efforts do not please God, hear me now, that is not true. Do not let self-doubt be something that keeps you from peace. Because doubt whether projected on us from someone else or from our own heart, is something that robs us from peace. Because if we doubt that God can be just, if we doubt that we can bring conflict resolution, or if we compare ourselves to others, you may be having a conflict with someone and say, well, no one else has apologized, so I'm not going to. And you're robbing yourself of peace. Or maybe inner peace, you see someone else and you think, I'm not as good as them. I don't have as much as them. 
my budget's really tight, and I just saw the person next to me put a hundred in the tray, and I just, all I have is five. We know the story of the widow with the two coins. It doesn't matter what we give. It's the heart that we give. And when we doubt our ability to worship, when we doubt our ability to find peace, we are robbing ourselves of the gift of God that he gives us, the peace of God that he offers you. In the story, in the prophet Haggai, he's offering Israel peace. He's calling on the Israelites to trust him and rebuild the temple as best you can and wait and see how good I can be. Now look at our, our New Testament reading. You know, Peter, the Apostle Peter, he wrote this letter in, in, in Second Peter. And the theme of this, if you're not sure, if you haven't read it recently, is holiness. You know, First Peter 1.16 says, Be holy, therefore, because I am holy, quoting God. And the theme of this whole letter Peter is writing is holiness. How do we become holy? How do we grow as Christians? And if you look, one of the first things he talks about in our, in our passage tonight is unity. He says we must be like-minded. We must be of one accord. We must be on the same page. We must be compassionate and humble. And when there is evil in our life, we repay it with a blessing. As Jesus said, if someone strikes you on the cheek, you turn to them the other cheek. If someone asks for your jacket, give them your cloak as well. And in verse 10, Peter quotes Psalm 34, and he basically is just taking the same theme from the Old Testament to teach it in the first century to his audience, and he's saying, listen, do you want to see peace? Do you want good days? Do you want to be free from anxiety and worry? One of the first things he says in verse 10, go to verse 10, or the next slide. Whoever would love life, see good days. <laughs> Watch your tongue. What's coming out of your mouth? What are the things you say? What are the things you believe? I was convicted of this this very week. I had a very, very bad attitude about a few things. And I was reading this, and it felt like God just sort of came behind me and did one of these and put me on my knees, and I thought, Lord, I'm so sorry. Sometimes I just have very negative things that come out of my mouth. If we want to be people who find peace and see good days, Peter says we ought to watch what comes out of our mouth. I wonder how much anxiety and fear would go away out of my life if I stopped having such harsh words or harsh thoughts. How much anxiety and fear would we lose if we stopped having such harsh words with the people we love the most? And then Peter goes on and he says, that same person that desires good days must turn from evil and seek after peace. Now notice he doesn't say just be open to peace. He doesn't say just welcome it when it comes. He says, no, that that person who wants good days must pursue peace, must run after it. You must desire it. And the eyes of the Lord, in verse 12, are on the person who does this. The eyes of the Lord, God sees it. The same way we're talking about in Haggai with the temple. When you pursue that which God has given to you, it doesn't matter if you're perfect. It doesn't matter if you can do it perfectly. What matters is that you do it with your heart, and God will see it. God says he sees our efforts. The results are out of our control. Sometimes we can't control circumstances. Sometimes someone else does not want peace. 
That's not for you to worry about. What you need to worry about is what is your heart telling? Are you pursuing peace? And then Peter goes a step further that makes us all really uncomfortable. He says in verse 13, even if you suffer for peace, keep going. Even if we suffer, and I know people in this room, you know what suffering is. Even if you suffer for peace, he says, you are blessed. Do not be afraid. And as I read this, I realize that one of our biggest enemies to finding peace is fear. Fear of what others may say, fear of what others may think, fear of what others may do to us. I want you to look real quickly with me at the second chapter of 1 Peter, just above the reading we just read. 1 Peter 2.23. It's talking about Jesus here. 1 Peter 2.23. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. When we talk about pursuing peace in this life, God tells us not to worry about the end result, not be obsessed with the end result. Leave that to God. Do we trust that God who is just will do it and that we should still pursue it? You know, when we read this and we think, okay, well, that's Jesus. That's not fair. I'm not as good as Jesus. But all you have to do is Google inspirational story about peace. And you will find stories of people all over this world, all throughout history, who have taken the high road, who have laid their lives down for the sake of peace. When we look at these two passages, it seems very clear to me that when we are fearful, sometimes it's for a good reason, and I get that. But sometimes it's because we are not trusting God. Sometimes it's because we have not let go of the fear of the end result. And when we do not trust God, how can we ever find peace in our life? How can we ever endure suffering? How can we ever return evil with a blessing unless we've given God full control? You know, and when it comes to interpersonal conflict, have you ever noticed how hard it is to be in conflict with someone when you sit down and actually talk? But instead of talking, you hear them and you let them tell you their story and their perspective and where they come from. And then all of a sudden you realize, I may disagree with you, but it's really hard to be in conflict with someone when we actually listen. To find peace, God lays out all of these things that we can do. God gives us all of these helpful aids and all of these helps that we can have in our life. And one of the things I read in both of these passages is that peace comes through communion with the body of Christ, through proper and faithful worship. Not successful worship, faithful worship. And that it comes from turning away from fear. Because if you look around this room, we all have fears. Every single one of us has different fears, but we are not alone and we're all doing this together. And it sounds crazy, but think about it this way. To achieve inner peace and to achieve this, this thing that God offers, it's communal, that we do it together. Now I want to mention this because I've talked to many people. Some people really feel crippled by fear and anxiety sometimes. You know, and I, I confess with you, I am a very fear, fear, fearful, fearful person. 
Um, I live in my head, and some of you know what that's like. You think about everything, and you think, and you lay in bed, and as you're laying in bed, you start thinking, and your brain is spinning, and your brain is spinning. If you look at my email account, you'll find regularly emails sent to myself late at night. So the next morning I can read it. I think, oh, I have to do this. And I'll be laying in bed and I'll try to go to sleep and I'll be like, okay, Lord, I need to go to sleep. And all of a sudden, oh, I need to do this tomorrow. Oh, I need to do this. And then I make a to-do list. And then I make a shopping list. And then I do all of these things because I live in my mind and my mind is constantly spinning through. And what happens is, is then whenever something comes up that I'm not sure about or that I'm not confident about, I become anxious and I become unsettled. And I start worrying, well, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Some of us are like that. Now, 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 those of you who aren't like that, um, those of us that are, are very jealous of you. So be gracious and love us and and be welcoming to us because those of us who are fearful, uh, we need help. Um, But some of you know what I mean. And some of you struggle with fear and you don't know why. You feel constantly restless. You feel constantly anxious. And some of it, as I said, is understandable. Sometimes there is a big issue. Sometimes there is a big fear. Sometimes there is a big decision, a big meeting, a big something that will define your future. That's fine. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is when it's constant. When we find ourselves almost feeling crippled by our fear. You know, and what's crazy is if you read studies today, anxiety is becoming a huge problem. Huge Because we're so fortunate and because we have so many choices in this life, people are being crippled by simple choices. What if I choose the wrong shoes and everyone makes fun of me? I mean, this is the thought. I I read a story about a teenage girl who was so nervous about choosing the wrong shoes because there were so many choices and she didn't want to be made fun of. She ended up in a doctor's office because she had a panic attack and almost broke down because she was so petrified of backlash she could get for having the wrong shoes. What if I choose the wrong boyfriend or girlfriend? What if I choose the wrong person? What if... What will people think? You know, the problem is is that we're looking for affirmation in the wrong places, aren't we? The social media generation, young people that are growing up now, they deal with so much of this. What will people say? What will people think? People are looking to strangers online or trying to project the perfect life and, and, and not projecting the perfection, not being seen as perfect or having it all together creates anxiety in people. I thought this was a really interesting t- statistic that I found in the United States and in Britain. It's the only place I could find these statistics. Kids now are growing up. There are more kids that are growing up with s- smartphones and social media accounts than are growing up with fathers. Think about that. 80%, give or take, of kids have smartphones and social media but don't have both parents in the home. They're finding their worth. They're finding their value based on a screen and what people they don't know or they barely know are saying rather than going to the body of Christ to be free from their anxieties and to find peace. No wonder we're anxious. It's no wonder we all deal with this stuff because we look for it in the wrong places. And now let me just say, those things are not evil. We're very blessed to have them. But if we place them above God and if we place them above proper worship, it robs us of peace. 
So I want you to think about this real quickly. What is your fear that robs you of peace? We all have one. Anyone who's ever maybe been to counseling, um, who's ever gone and see a therapist or a counselor, there's nothing wrong with that? I have. And one of the things that my counselor really helped me talk through was what I'm afraid of. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is my biggest fear? Because what we're afraid of will then end up motivating us. So if we're afraid of something, that will be our motivation, right? Because then we're going to try to avoid that at all costs, and so our motivation will then be to avoid this fear. So what are you afraid of? I wrote some down here just to get your thoughts going, just to see if any of this is you. Are you afraid of not being perfect? Are you afraid of not being needed by other people? Are you afraid of being seen as a failure so you always try to achieve more and more? Are you afraid of being seen as ordinary by other people? Are you afraid of being misunderstood? Are you afraid that people might think you're dumb? Are you afraid of losing security? Are you afraid of authority? What if authority hurts you? Are you afraid of pain so much so that you avoid it within yourself or others? Are you afraid of maybe losing control either of people or possessions in your life? Some people are even so afraid of losing peace and comfort that that very fear keeps them from the peace of the Lord. You may have identified with some of those, with none of those, but my question is this, is are your fears keeping you from a peace of the Lord? And have you come together with brothers and sisters in Christ in a small group or in a relationship and shared these fears and named these fears? Because as many of us know, when we realize our weakness, it takes the power away from our fears. And it increases our communal faithful worship by confessing our fears to one another. You know, it, it, it may be because of a circumstance, but your restlessness, your anxiety, the lack of peace in your life may be from fear. And so look at our examples today. Look at some of the things they say. Are you in worship? Are you unified with the body of Christ? Are you giving your sufferings to the Lord? And I mean really giving your sufferings to the Lord in constant prayer with friends and with family about the things that drive you and that hurt you? Have you lifted that fear and anxiety to the Lord? Our choices matter. And so where you are restless may be a place where you can start to find peace. Where are you restless? What gives you anxiety? Remember, you are not alone. Look around this room. This room is full of people to pray with. This room is full of people to gather with. This room is full of people to sing with. And let me just say this. For those of us who sometimes deal with anxiety or fear, some people it's because of how our brain is wired. Maybe we've experienced trauma or hurt, and it may never go away. There may be a circumstance that hovers over us for forever and we just can't get rid of it. But I believe it can get better. I believe that God can and God wants to help. And I believe that the church, even though we are broken, even though we are imperfect, I believe that the church can also help you. I believe that your brothers and sisters in Christ can come alongside and help you. Fear and anxiety may still come. 
You may still have sleepless nights. You may still struggle inside with fear and pain. But let me just tell you, how we deal with that fear and pain is how we worship God. Do you trust God to walk alongside you in the struggles you have? Do you trust God to manage it through Him? God has given us the option to have peace. God has said, I give you, I offer you my peace. And so we pursue it in the lives around us. We gather in with the body of Christ. And in my experience, in my own life of spiritual growth, some of you know some of my story, there's a lot of stuff in my past. And when I started thinking about what peace was and how to achieve peace, one of the things I realized is that this whole outer peace of, of, of gaining peace with conflict and other people and then this inner peace things all sort of started happening simultaneously. That when I started being more patient with other people, I found myself finding more inner peace. And when I started pursuing God in my inner life and in my thought life, I found myself being more gracious with those around me. And peace begets peace. One helps the other. And as we read here tonight, that God offers us His peace. And so do we trust that God will be just? Do we trust that the outcome is in God's hand and that He desires that we walk through it with Him? With your words, with your listening, with your actions, do you pursue peace? Not just open yourself to peace, but do you actively pursue the peace of God? My hope is that we would be a church who does. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for the people in this room. Lord, in a room this size with this many people, there are people who have great anxiety, who have great fear. There are people who are in a joyful time in life right now and feel the love and touch of your spirit now as we pray, Lord, and for all of us, wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves. Thank you for being gracious with us. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for loving us in the midst of our imperfections. Lord, for difficult circumstance, we ask for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, for joy, we rejoice. And for everything else, Lord, teach us and show us that we would be faithful and that our peace in you would grow all the more together as a body of Christ, whom you love so dearly. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. At this time, I'd like to invite our musicians back up.